Tonight we do um, have Matt and Jennifer Johnson, formerly Taylor Johnson, and um, what they're here for is going to be sharing. We start tonight having a set of three speakers. Tonight we'll have Matt and Jen. They're going to speak to us about um, some child care, some um, orphanage, and in a different sense because the children are not adoptable. And so you'll learn more about that as they get into uh, some of the ministries they do over in Nicaragua. Next week, we will have a team from First Baptist Church of Metropolis, and they will be speaking on Haiti. They went to Haiti this summer and did a medical missions trip. And then the next week will be a guy from the state office to speak to us on how our world hunger funds are actually used in Illinois and then the United States and around the world. So what we're trying to get across is that um, not only are we missionaries here and through some of the local activities that we do, and we're missionaries in West Africa, and when we go to Beijing, China, and work in the Olympics, we're missionaries there, but it's a missional lifestyle. And so they're going to share with us what their church is doing down in Nicaragua to work with um, children in less than desirable conditions. And so Matt is, is that a good way of putting it? <laughs> I'm tap dancing around it because I don't really know how you say these these kids are really in pitiful shape. But anyway, um, Matt is the founding pastor of Journey Church in Murray, Kentucky. The church has been in existence five years. They just celebrated their fifth anniversary the first part of September. Are you still running two services? Mm-hmm. Running two services now, um, enlarging every year. For a, They started off with just a main service, and then they added preschool, and then they added children. And have you got youth yet? Next year. Student, student ministry is next year. They're adding a big ministry at a time. So they, have, they do things a whole lot different. When we go to their church, I was telling uh, Christy and Steve, we are senior adults. If you're over 50, you're a senior adult in their church because it's a very young church. They don't have a church building. They meet on campus in the Curris Center every week. They um, tear down and put up their entire church, their entire preschool department, and children's department every Sunday morning. And then they do small groups at home. So, with no further ado, I'll pass the microphone to those guys. Well, thank you very much for uh, giving us an opportunity to be here. We're excited to be here. And let me just tell you, maybe this is a warning more than anything before we get started. You got that? Um, I do this for a living, so I'm used to being up here speaking. My wife has a few national championships in speech, so she's used to doing this. We've never shared a stage and tried to do this before. So I don't, I don't know if you're very familiar with Taylor's in general, but especially this one, she likes to talk. So we may get in a battle for words before it's over. I don't know. We have a signal worked out, though. Yes, yeah. I'll, uh, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it works. Hopefully we'll do okay. So this, this is a first for us. You're going to be our guinea pigs, all right? It, it, is, um, it is great to be here with you. Let me just tell you a little bit about what we do, and and we're going to show you some stuff as we go along uh, and hopefully share a few stories with you. As Judy said, our church is five years old. Um, And about uh, two and a half years ago, in April of 2008, we were uh, three years old at the time, we were ready to get into some um, different missions opportunities and get involved as a church in those uh, globally. And Jen and I went to a conference in Atlanta, uh, which is a conference for family ministry called Orange While we were at that conference, uh, the guy took uh, maybe 15 minutes out of the conference and highlighted an organization that was there um, 
I guess being sponsored by the conference or highlighted by the conference, the organization's name was LUO. LUO is a Greek word that just means to set free. And this organization had just begun, and they began to share, at the time, their very first um, outreach globally was in Jeffreys Bay, South Africa. And they had started an orphanage for 100 kids in South Africa, and they began to tell the story of it, and they began to tell about how those of us at the conference could basically sponsor these kids for, at the time, I think it was $250. You could provide meals, medical supplies, biblical education, and academic education for one child for an entire year. And uh, if you sponsored a kid while you were at the conference, you got a hand-painted canvas from one of these kids that had their handprint or their footprint on it. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. I I was sitting there, and I just kind of zoned out. I mean, I was listening to them. I was like, all right, you know, whatever. And so they got finished, and and we uh, headed out, and I feel this tug on my shirt. And I turn, and I look at Jen, and she's got this look of, can we do it, can we do it, can we do it? And I'm thinking, that's 250 bucks. What are you talking about, you know? But she was very, very passionate about it, and I really have to give her credit for getting us involved in this because it, it flew right past my radar. But tell them a little bit about why you were so passionate about this when you heard it. To be perfectly honest, because obviously I grew up in church, I've been around missions for 28 years now, um, spent a lot of time around them, but for some reason there had never been a particular cause that had really caught my attention and been something that I personally wanted to invest, what to me was a pretty large sum of money. Um, But for some reason, as we were kind of sitting there and they showed these pictures and talked about the kids and all the things that they were doing to help, and then they showed this beautiful piece of artwork that's just, you know, the madness of a child scrambling, but it was so beautiful to me. And I was just like, oh, that's just so personal. And suddenly, in that moment, I think missions became very real to me. And that was something that I hadn't really experienced before. And I'm not sure if it was because I got to see this hand-painted canvas I'm not sure if it's because of the story that they told or what exactly it was, but suddenly $250 seemed very insignificant over the span of a year in order to be able to help out these children. So I was able to successfully bribe Matt into uh, going along with me on sponsoring a child. I think he was just excited it wasn't going toward clothes, which is typically <laughs> Better than a shopping trip, yeah. Uh, and it, and it was wonderful, and I, was, I remember coming home and being able to display this piece of artwork in my home, and people would come in and be like, oh, that's kind of different. What is that? Where would you get that? And I had an immediate opportunity to get to share with them exactly what had happened and what we were doing, and this little girl whose name is Liama, and show them a picture of her, and, you know, just kind of brag like a parent does on their kids. And it was, for me, a very personal experience. So, so we sponsored Liama, and and filled out a sponsorship card and, you know, gave them the money and whatever, and left that day, went back to Murray, and um, two days later, I believe it was, I get a phone call from uh, Gavin and Lindsay Tarquinio, who were the founders of LUO. Gavin had played football at Georgia Tech um, and then had gone on and been drafted by the Falcons or signed by the Falcons, and he played with the Atlanta Falcons, and he had quit his football career in order for he and his wife to begin this organization and begin to help kids internationally. And they call me up on the phone, and irony of ironies, they said, um, they left a voicemail. I didn't know the number, so I didn't answer. They left a voicemail, and they said, uh, this is Gavin Lindsay Tarquinio. We're actually going to be in Murray, Kentucky in two days. Would you all like to have coffee with us? We saw you're from this town. Now, I'm listening to it thinking, how do they know where Murray, Kentucky is, first of all? You know, I mean, they're Atlanta, Georgia people. I'd never heard of Murray. 
Long story short, Gavin has some long-lost family in Murray that he had recently reconnected with. They were coming to visit him, and that's how we met these guys. And we sat down over coffee with them, began to talk about what they did, and I, I told them a little bit about our church. And I simply said this. I hadn't talked to our church about it. I hadn't really said, we hadn't had a chance to say anything to anybody. But I said, you know what? I really feel like if there were another orphanage uh, somewhere that you feel like our church could partner up and take care of, I, I think our church would love to sponsor something like that. And they said, well, you know what? We'll see what we can find. So for a few months, we waited as they um, uh, looked in some different places. And they ended up landing in Nicaragua, which is in Central America. And they found a, a missionary family there named the Busbys. They'd been there for 15 years maybe, I think it is. And this family had done a lot of work there. But one of the things they'd done, and we'll, we'll explain this as we go along, one of the things they'd done is open two what they call rescue homes, not orphanages. Um, and a rescue home for boys and a rescue home for girls. And Gavin and Lindsay said, hey, this looks like a really good opportunity. Um, this has really moved us. And they, they came back and shared with us and showed some pictures. And... Uh, so what they want us to do is take a trip with them. And in May of 2009, Jen and I went on a trip with them to Nicaragua. And what we saw uh, was absolutely unbelievable to us. To, to give you, as, as best I can, a, a picture, a verbal picture of it, um, in Managua, which is a capital city, there are over one million people who are there. And in the center of the city, there is a trash dump called La Chureca. La Chureca is about 100 square acres large. There are 2,000 people who live in the dump. And about half of those are kids under the age of 18. And they took us into this dump, which at the time was just absolutely horrid. These people were living, they had, they had erected uh, 10 huts is probably the best way you could describe it. They'd erected 10 huts for themselves. Some of them had a little electricity. Some of them had a little bit of water. No restrooms, no you know, plumbing, no sewage, no, nothing like that. Horrible conditions. And these... Uh, these people are living in there. Now, in Nicaragua, about half of the population lives on less than $2 a day. But in the trash dump, these people could, what they would do for a living is as the trucks came in and dumped the trash, they would go through the trash and grab all the recyclables they could and then go down, and it was kind of like this black market. They'd go down to the entrance to the gate, sell them to a middleman who went and took them to a recycling plant, but that's how they made their money. And the best people in the dump could make up to 5 or $6 a day. So it was actually really good money for the country. They just didn't know what to do with it. But it was a lot of money. They, they just didn't know how to manage it. And so we began to hear stories, and we heard these from the Busbys. The Busbys, there was a school right in the, and you're going to see in just a minute what we're talking about. There's a school right in the center of the dump that a, a missionary group had started a few years ago to educate. Uh, they have about 300 elementary kids who come to this school every day. And they're trying to educate these kids and help them get out of the situation that they're in as they grow older. The Busbys had taken over running that facility, and what they discovered is they began to hear stories of girls as young as seven years old who were being uh, prostituted out to dump truck drivers by their parents in order to have first dibs at the trash as it was brought in, and boys who were being beaten if they didn't bring in enough recyclables at the end of the day. They started hearing some horrible, horrible stories. And so the Busbys initially adopted, I believe, six Nicaraguan kids themselves, they had four older kids. They adopted six more Nicaraguans, and then they finally decided, wait a minute, this is not going to solve the problem long term. We can't keep adopting kids out of the dump. And so they first uh, formed a girls' home called Casa Habla, and then they formed a boys' home called Casa Robles. And in just a minute, we're going to tell you a little bit about that because that's what we partnered with. But before we do, last time we were there, our church has taken six trips 
uh, to Nicaragua. We've taken about 50 people in the last two years. And um, last time we were there, we shot some video footage uh, in the dump and at the school. And instead of us trying to describe it to you, I think it would be better if you saw it. So, guys, if you all roll that for us, you can watch this. Here in La Chirefa, which is a city dump located right in the heart of Managua, Nicaragua, as you're going to see all around, there are about 2,000 people who live here in this dump. Approximately 1,000 of them are under the age of 18. This is an absolutely incredible place, unlike anything you would see in the States. Here in Nicaragua, the people who live in this dump live basically in 10 huts. They have uh, a little bit of running water. Some of them have electricity. There are no bathrooms. There are... Uh, there's no other type of sanitation uh, equipment. They're just here, living among the people. The kids who are here live in unspeakable conditions. Many of these kids are subject to physical abuse, emotional abuse. Um, the people here in this dump make their money by recycling the trash, and so they can make as much as three, four, five dollars a day, which means some of them, as uh, dump trucks come in, will even take their, their young daughters, as young as seven years old, and they'll prostitute them out to dump truck drivers in order to get first dibs at the trash. As you walk through this and you begin to look around at everything that's going on, honestly, it's very hard to fathom because we see nothing like this in the States. You've got people who are living in abject poverty, the very worst of, uh, of conditions. And yet in the middle of this, you find as you look around that there's still hope. It's hard to walk in here and think God is anywhere present. And yet there are pockets of his activity all around this dump, all around this 100-square-acre complex, because he's still at work and doing things in a lot of different ways. And I want to show you one way that that happens and one way that we plug in and we're a part of that. Right in the middle of this incredible darkness, you find a school here. And in this school, kids are able to come from this dump. They're able to experience uh, hope, joy, and love and receive an education that they wouldn't otherwise uh, receive so that they can grow up, they can get out of these conditions, they can begin to live a little differently. So I want to take you in here. I want to show you what's going on in the school. Our team's in there right now, and we are uh, just hanging out with the kids, playing, enjoying some recess time with them. And you're going to see an entirely different world as you open this door, and darkness suddenly becomes incredible light. And you'll see the joy on these kids' faces as they get to experience a little hope, a little freedom, and a little goodness in the middle of their day. As they go through school today, there's a group that comes in the morning, a group that will come in the afternoon. They get a home-cooked meal for lunch. And most of all, they get the experience of love and care of people all around them who help them understand in a very tangible way how much God loves them. told you guys a little bit ago, he mentioned that the organization that we work with is called LUO, and he said that that means to set free in the Greek. And what these people are specifically, what we're trying to set them free from is poverty. So the whole idea is that we want to be able to take these different orphans and these people out of their poverty and help them to become like sustainable on their own in a healthy way um, and teach them all the different things that they need to know in order to function in a regular society. So that's kind of the goal, and it's so amazing whenever you drive through this dump because you see literally, I mean, there's trash piled so much higher. It looks like it's mountains. It really does. You would think that it was like just these beautiful mountains, but it's not. It's just trash that's been compacted and laid on top and just continued to grow. Um, and it's amazing to see how whenever you're looking at this trash dump, we drive through it on this large school bus, 
And Mr. Busby, which is the monarch of the family, patriarch, excuse me, of the family, um, he always says that whenever you drive through the dump, the best thing that you can do is to go through and instead of looking at it and feeling sorry for the people or pitying them, to actually take it from God's perspective. And to look at it as not those people, but to look at it how God sees it, which is that that's exactly how we appear to him whenever we try to present our own good works or whenever we're trying to do things on our own. You know, to the Heavenly Father, we're just like those people. We're living in absolute filth and misery, and we don't even realize it until we finally decide to begin a relationship with him. And looking at it from that perspective, it really truly changes the way that you view the entire dump and that you view the people that are inside there. You don't get nearly as angry with them for the things that they do as much as you just start to realize that that's exactly where I was too before I chose to begin a relationship with God. So uh, Share with them a little bit about your experience the first time you went into the school here and what the kids' reaction. Oh my goodness. These kids are about the sweetest things that you will ever encounter. And it's so amazing because you literally come out from this really dark and dingy and smelly and disgusting place and you walk through the doors of the school and suddenly there's kids everywhere and they're all laughing and having fun and they all want to hug you and hang on you and play with you and pet your hair and you know look at your eyes because I have blue eyes they're just like ooh azul blue eyes uh, and they're just absolutely fascinated with people and you can just tell that they don't necessarily get a lot of attention at home because they will just sit there and sit in your lap that's all they want to do they just want to sit in your lap and look at you and talk to you and have a wonderful time for that time that you are there. So getting to have that experience is absolutely amazing and fascinating. And you can really tell the difference that the school is making on these kids' lives because it is providing them an education that they wouldn't be receiving otherwise. Yeah, now the kids that we help in the rescue homes are kids that they discovered going through the schools. And what, what they have done is taken the worst of the worst situations and they brought them into the rescue homes, and it's a unique deal because in a lot of places you have orphanages and you're able to adopt these kids or whatever. It's next to impossible to adopt a kid in Nicaragua. The government has made it where, where you just can't do it. You have to have a lot of paperwork done. You have to have a lot of signatures by a lot of people, and it's honestly next to impossible to do. So instead of having orphanages there, as I told you, they created a rescue home called Casa Havla for the girls and a rescue home then called Casa Robles, for the boys. And these homes, uh, the, the, um, and many times a mother or um, a stepmother maybe will have a child in their home that's being abused by a stepfather or by a father. And so they will come to the Busbys and they'll say, hey, I would like to put my child in your rescue home and get them out of these conditions that they're in here in the dump. And so right now, there, we don't know exact numbers because it, ch- it changes. They continue to add. But around 30 kids total who are in these rescue homes. And what we have done as a church is we came alongside in November 2008 and we told Gavin and Lindsay, our church will try to provide all the funding that these two homes need for an entire year to provide meals for the kids, all the medical supplies they need, academic education, counseling, and biblical education. And so it costs about $30,000 a year in Nicaragua to do that. And so what we did originally is in November of 2008, um, I stood up in front of our church, and we were actually in the middle of a, of a giving campaign. So people were already giving a lot. And I said, I know nobody really has any extra money right now, but here's the thing. We need to do something about this. And so I said, here's what we're going to do. We showed them the canvases. We had canvases painted. And we're going to show you one in a minute. We had canvases painted from all the different kids who were in the rescue homes. 
And I said, $200 is going to help provide all of these things for a kid for a year, and you're going to get a canvas. Now, you can come up with $200 just by asking for money for Christmas instead of gifts. So I was like, I know I don't usually ask you to do this. I don't, we don't ask for, you know, whatever. But I said, I'm just telling you, you better go tell people you just need money for Christmas because we got to do this. And they all kind of laughed. And I said, but that's still not going to get us 30 grand. That's a lot of money. So then what we need to do is we need to go get all of our families involved and all of our friends involved and, and basically help, you know, create as many sponsorships for these kids as we possibly can. And it absolutely blew us away. As our church began to respond, and they got people involved from all over that they knew from wherever. And that first year, we were able to, to raise $30,000 to provide these things for the kids. And we, as I said, we've taken six trips down there. And there is such a stark difference in the kids in the rescue home versus the kids who are still in the dump in this school. When you walk into the school, hello, Hope, how are you? When you walk into the school, I'm sorry, I'm famous. I can't help it. Autographs later. So when, when, you walk into the, when you walk into school, as Jen said, these kids grab you and they're hanging all over you just because they want attention and love. They're not bad. They're great. But when you go in the rescue homes, you find kids who, sure, they, they, you know, they have a great relationship. They want to hang out with you and have fun. But they are not desperate for love like the kids in the dump. The two rescue homes work like this. There is a, a Nicaraguan mother who is the mother for all the girls in the rescue home. And she's got, what, 17 or 18 girls? I don't know how this lady does it. Can you imagine that much estrogen in a, you know, in a house together? Unbelievable. She takes care of all these girls from like five years old all the way to 16, 17 years old. And then in the boys' home, there is this couple that's just amazing. They're a married couple. They've been married 20 years, Nicaraguans. They've never had kids. But now they've got a whole group of boys that they raise. And it is unbelievable to watch these kids interact with you know, what they call their parents now. You can tell how much they love them, how much they respect them. It has completely changed their life. And so for us, when we come in, it's not like these kids are desperate for things. We've been able to help provide you know, food and education and everything they need. But our big deal when we go down to Nicaragua is we just want to build relationships and we want to be a very tangible expression of God's love. To all of these kids. And so we'll do all kinds of activities with them. We'll take them places. We take them to the movies sometimes. We've taken them um, sightseeing different places, taking them to the zoo. Things that they would never get to do otherwise that most kids their age don't get to do in Nicaragua. And they absolutely love it. On the last trip Jen and I went on, we actually had an opportunity to take them to the beach on the Pacific Ocean. It was the first time we'd ever been. And we shot a little bit of footage there. This will give you, I'm talking about why we do the trips that we do, and I really shot this for our church, but, but that'll, it'll make sense to you. But more than anything, you'll be able to see a lot of these kids that we're helping out. So take a look at this video. So whenever we're in Nicaragua, one of the most important things to us is to make sure we spend a lot of time with the kids and build some relationships with them, which is why today we are at the beach. As you can see, the kids are having a blast. They can't wait to be here. There's a Pacific Ocean right out here in front of me, and we're going to spend the whole day just building relationships with the kids. For us, we feel like this is a really important thing to do because on a lot of trips, you're going, you're doing projects, you're building a church, you're building a home. That's all important. 
Well, for us, part of our uh, strategy with Nicaragua is we want to build relationships. So to be able to come time after time after time, year after year, spend time with these kids, have fun, give them experiences they wouldn't have otherwise, just like Marcos right there, it's absolutely incredible for them. So we're going to go have fun today on the beach, hopefully build a lot of relationships, and be a very tangible expression of God's love for these kids today. That Marcos kid is quite a handful, as you can imagine. He's... He is full of energy, but absolutely incredible. They are a great group of kids, and it is hard to imagine when you're with them, isn't it, just that they came out of La Chureca just a year, two years ago. Um, when they pull these kids out, I'll say this, and then you can talk a little bit about the daycare. When they pull these kids out of the dump, I mean, it's hard for us to imagine, but these kids have never experienced uh, having a bathroom. So they don't, know, they don't know how to use a restroom, and they have to teach them how to use a toilet. These kids have been so deprived of food that they do what they call cheek packing, where whenever the kids get food in the dump, they'll pack as much as they can back into their cheeks and just hold on to it for later so that they'll have some food. And so they have to retrain them and help them to understand when, when they're at the dinner table, you don't have to pack that away in your cheek. There's going to be plenty more coming later on. So one of the great things for us about going time after time after time is we watch these kids from when they first get into these homes and they're shy and they're, you know, they don't trust people and they're going through all of this to see every time we go the transformation that's happening in them is they're experiencing God's unconditional love in a very tangible way through these people. So that, that's been an incredible experience for us. Whenever we go down to Nicaragua on our different mission trips, um, we also try to have an impact on the community as a whole. We obviously love getting to spend time with the orphans inside of their rescue homes and getting to meet the parents and develop those relationships and just, like Matt said, kind of be an expression of a very tangible love for them. But at the same time, we also wanted to find a way to kind of partner with some of the local churches that they have there and to impact the community as a whole because we feel like our calling is something so much more than just this one little thing. So one of the things that we've done is Matt actually met up with a guy who is a pastor of a church that's actually for the dump. Uh, there is a large church that is inside of Managua, and he was originally on staff at that church, and he actually felt like he was called to leave specifically to minister to the people of La Chureca, the dump. And so he has started a church over there, and it is absolutely amazing to get to see. Um, they have a little building, but during the week, that building is actually used as a daycare facility. And that is a place where mothers can bring their children, um, specifically preschoolers, so the guys that aren't in kindergarten yet because they'll go to the school in the dump. But they can bring their preschoolers, and they will be taken care of and fed and loved on and nurtured as opposed to being toted around throughout the dump, which, as you can imagine, is very hazardous conditions for a baby to be toted around. Um, There are things like tires burning, garbage, obviously, just automatically sort of combust periodically and sometimes they wind up being left in the hut and just being attended to every couple hours you know and these are little bitty babies that nobody's taking care of so instead they can take them over to this preschool facility called Alfaro and they are able to actually go in and kind of minister to them through there and we've got a video that's going to kind of show you guys while we were actually in Alfaro and you can see kind of a little bit more about what they do there if you want to show that video. We are here right now at El Ferro, which is the daycare center, um, basically about one block away from the dump. 
and this is actually a church during the rest of um, the week on Sundays, and on Wednesday nights they have church here for about 300 people, and again, it's mostly for people of the dump. Um, so basically this daycare exists for the preschool kids so that their mothers can go to work in the dump and not have to take them with them. Um, it kind of helps with the kids not to expose them to all the dangerous fumes and the trash and the different things that they'll be working with out there, but what's really great about this place is that it actually helps provide a lot of really essential things for these kids. Um, every child, whenever they come, they get breakfast and lunch provided for them, as well as a snack gets sent home with them at 4 o'clock. They also will brush their teeth, and um, if they need it, they'll get a bath. They're required to wear their shoes, and most importantly, they even get some medicine um, given to them if they're sick or if they need anything. So this place is really a huge beacon of hope for the children of the devil because it's allowing them to um, kind of learn some of the certain parts of their society that aren't necessarily part of the dump. Um, I love coming here mostly just because what we do at the rescue homes is awesome and it's so great, but those children have already been taken out of the environment that was so bad for them, and they are receiving a lot of love and a lot of care. And these kids aren't there yet. These are the ones that are still having to go home every day to that place, and um, this is pretty much the only positive influence that they get to have every single day. So it's a great place, and I'm glad that we get to come here on a regular basis. So, like I said um, just in the video, what's so great about this place is that they do actually meet a lot of the very basic needs that these kids would not get to experience otherwise. Things like brushing their teeth, because they don't really do that in the dump. Or they do make them wear shoes, which generally people go barefoot in the dump. You know, they're going to give them medicine if they have a cough or if they're not feeling well. Then they actually take care of a lot of those needs. So it's a wonderful place. It's actually my favorite place to go just because, as I mentioned in the video, the children in the rescue home have already been removed from the bad influence. They're now being taken care of and they're being loved. But these kids, they still go back to that at night. And um, I'm just really glad that we got to be involved with that as well. So uh, having seen all of that, let me say this and, and we'll wrap up. Um, for us personally and for our church, we felt like this is not something you can see and just ignore. This isn't something you can, you know, be aware of and say, well, somebody else will take care of that. Uh, we felt like we had to get involved personally no matter what it cost us. And from a, from a very personal standpoint, Jen and I over the last two years have sponsored four kids down there. And if you could just take two minutes and share with them a little bit about our experience in terms of sponsoring kids and maybe a story about one of them and how that's impacted us. The very first little girl that we actually sponsored, her name was Jacqueline, and I was so excited to get to go down there to Nicaragua and to get to actually meet her because a lot of times there are a lot of organizations that do some really, really wonderful things with sponsoring children and allowing for you to take care of their medical needs and their food, their education, stuff like that. But a lot of times you don't get to meet those people. You don't actually get to have that personal connection and to get to see them face to face. So to actually have the opportunity to get to meet Jacqueline was probably one of the coolest things ever. Um, we did not, we were not allowed and we had decided not to let the children know that we were actually responsible for funding their homes. That was something that we didn't want them to look to the Americans to be their providers, so nobody was aware that we were giving any money whatsoever. So it wasn't like we could go up to Jacqueline and be like, hey, I sponsor you, I like, take care of you, and I pay for you, and I love you, and I think you're awesome and great, and I know about you. That wasn't really something that we could do. But yet, without fail, for everybody that went on that trip that had sponsored a child, somehow, some way, God orchestrated it where those kids just naturally gravitated toward us. And we were able to start a relationship with her. I mean, Jacqueline was the first little girl. She's about, um, at that time, she was about eight years old. I actually picked her because she reminded me of Faith. 
And um, I was just like, oh, how awesome. I love this little girl. But she immediately came over to me and started talking, and we colored. And then we got to talk, and we had translators, you know, so we were able to spend that time actually really, like, connecting with each other. And it was such an awesome experience to know that what I had done financially was actually providing her with a safe place that she could come to and to watch her thrive and be just as normal a child as Faith is. I mean, they love the Jonas Brothers. If you sing any Jonas Brothers song, they know them all. That and Miley Cyrus. That and Miley Cyrus. Oh Hannah Montana. Yeah, they know them all. They love them. You could sing Hannah Montana songs with them, and they just love it. And it's so wonderful to get to have that opportunity to just connect with her. And every time we've gone back, we have gotten to see her. Um, we've traded pictures, you know, and written notes to each other. And that's just been a really awesome experience for me. It was just something for us. Uh, and for our church, and I'm so proud of our church because for two years now we've been a part of sponsoring these homes. Uh, it was just something that we couldn't ignore. And we feel like, you know, in our culture today here in America, we've, we really do have far more than we need. We're all rich in terms of how the rest of the world lives. And yet all of us, no matter what our income, there's always something more we want. We live in a society that you know, we're great. It's, it's all about you're grateful on Thanksgiving Day, and then the very next morning you're throwing elbows to get something at Black Friday, right? I mean, it's just kind of discontent and gratitude constantly in our culture. But the reality is we're incredibly blessed, and we believe God has blessed us not just to increase our own standard of living, but to do more and to give more to increase the standard of living of other people. And so... We've jumped on board with that, and I, I would just say this. We get asked a lot, well, how could I get involved and help out with that? I'll tell you a couple of things. Obviously, you can be praying for us and praying for those kids down there. This has been a focus for us for the last two years, and we've invested uh, several thousand dollars and a lot of time and a lot of volunteers into that area and seen a lot of progress made. Uh, a couple other things you can do. I'll tell you the same thing I tell on our church. Uh, one is uh, this next year in 2011, we're going to be taking a, a trip down there in March and another one in May. If it's something you're interested in, in uh, exploring, it costs about $1,100 to go down there. If you're interested in that, you can talk to Judy, and she'll get you info. And if we've got room on our trips, we'd, we'd be more than happy for you to go with us and see it for yourselves. As Jen said, there's nothing better about this than to make a financial investment in it, but then get to go down and see firsthand. The difference it is making. It's absolutely incredible. And the other thing, if you're interested, that you can do, uh, you can obviously make a, a gift or a donation of any amount uh, to LUO, L-U-O, and uh, all of that money, 100% of that money, goes directly to Nicaragua to these kids. Now, a dime is taken out for administrative stuff. We love that about LUO. Uh, but $200 will help provide meals, medical supplies, biblical education, academic education, and counseling for a year. And we give our church, and we'll give you guys one of these too. We have these hand-painted canvases from the kids. And uh, it's got their name on the back, and it's got a handprint or a footprint. And Jen and I have gotten these stretched and hung up in our house, which does two things. One, it's a great conversation piece when people come over to tell them the story. But also it's a constant reminder to us to uh, pray for those kids. And remember, it's about a whole lot more than just us. So if you're interested in, in getting involved on the financial end with that, uh, after the service tonight, you're welcome to see me. I'm sure she'll be talking to somebody. But you can, you can catch her. You can catch me. I'll be free. And uh, I'll talk you through how to do that, all right? So thank you so much for your time. Let's have a word of prayer. And then uh, afterwards, uh, Jen is going to end with a song that uh, you may have heard before. But it's a song that 
has become uh, the theme for our experience in Nicaragua. As we look around in the dump, it is easy to see the darkness, but we're also reminded that God is at work there and that um, He is God of that place just like He is God of here. So let's pray together, and then they'll sing. Father, we are so grateful um, to know that You're at work, not just here among us, but You're at work in the darkest of places. And I also want to say thank You for giving us an opportunity as followers of you who've been blessed with far more than we need, to go into a place like that and to carry your light and to carry your hope and to carry your grace and love to people who desperately need it. Um, Father, I don't know where you're leading all of us here tonight, but I do know whether it's Nicaragua or whether it's something else, you did not put us here and give us all we have just to consume it on ourselves. And so would you expand our horizons, would you expand our perspectives, would you um, break our hearts for the things that break yours, and help us, as uh, James said, to care for the widows and to care for the orphans in their distress, and to be a very tangible, visible expression of your love to the people who most desperately need it.